Hey, I'm Ann Watson. Welcome back to the Declare Conference podcast. I am so excited that you're here. We at Declare really, really hope that you've been enjoying each episode of this podcast. If you have, you can help us out so much by leaving us a great review on iTunes. That helps other women like you connect and get great resources. While you're there, go ahead and subscribe if you haven't already. So really, pause right here, go subscribe and leave a review and then come back. We'll wait for you. Thank you. If you're joining us for the first time, Declare is an annual conference with a mission to equip women to walk in their callings as Christian communicators. So if you're a writer, a speaker, a podcaster, or you just love social media, Declare is the place for you. Through this conference, you're going to laugh, connect, be encouraged, inspired, and most importantly, equipped with all the latest tools and techniques from some of the best leaders in Christian communication today. The conference this year is October 2nd through the 4th in Dallas. It's going to be a sweet time and you won't believe the speaker lineup and surprises that we have in store for you. Just go visit our website at declareconference.com for more details and to get your ticket. But don't wait. The price goes up really soon. In our last episode, you heard encouragement from Jamie Bates as she talked about writing about what you're passionate about instead of what you're frustrated by and her surprisingly best advice for quitting social media. That's episode 55. So if you have not yet heard that, go check that one out too. But today we're on episode 56, Finding God Backstage with Sarah Haggerty. She is a wife, a mom to six. She is the author of Every Bitter Thing is Sweet, Tasting the Goodness of God in All Things. And in that book, she shares about how God moved when her life stopped working for her. Be sure to click on the link in our show notes on our webpage to get a hold of that one. But today we're going to talk about the beauty of writing out of pain, why she wrote her first book at 2 a.m., and how to navigate the traffic of your mind and heart. She has so much wisdom. We're also going to talk about her newest book, Unseen, the gift of being hidden in the world that loves to be noticed. That new book drops on August 29th, but you can pre-order it now. And the link for that is in our show notes too. You are going to love her. But before we get started, I just want to take a minute and say a big thank you to our podcast sponsor, Shazzy Fitness. Shazzy is a different kind of Christian workout. It's a new, easy-to-learn cardio exercise that fuses modern hip-hop dance with faith-based contemporary music, including gospel hip-hop and Christian rock. They're going to be at the conference this year doing their thing, and you are invited. You can find out more about what I mean when you visit our website. You can also find out more about what Shazzy does if you visit their website, shazzyfitness.com. Also, that link is in the show notes. That's basically where you can find everything you need to know. Why don't we go ahead and get started with our conversation with Sarah Haggerty. Hey, Sarah, I'm so excited to have you on the Declare podcast this week. How are you? I'm great. I'm thrilled to be on. Thank you. Oh, we're so thrilled to have you on, and we're so thrilled that you're going to be joining us at Declare in the yes. fall. It's going to be so cool. You're one of our keynote speakers, and I know that you're bringing incredible wisdom, but you're also bringing some new stuff that we're looking forward to. But before we dive into all of that, I thought maybe we could take an opportunity to help our listeners get to know you a little bit. So would you mind sharing with us a little bit about you and your family and maybe a little bit about your story? Sure. I have um, six children which is sort of, we still laugh about it because we lived many of our married years uh, without children and then grew our family. It felt like I blinked and all of a sudden we have a bunch of kids. Uh, We were married for eight years 
and struggle with infertility. And in that time also developed a heart for adoption. And so we adopted our first two children from Ethiopia and our second two from Uganda, and then just kind of had these surprise pregnancies 13 years into marriage. And so overnight, we went from just the two of us to eight of us. And I also love to write and I travel and speak on occasion also. Six kids. I mean, that's so it's, many. It, <laughs> it <laughs> is. That is so many. I mean, I'm still, I feel like everywhere I go, I'm counting heads. Yes, it is so many. We're not quite sure how we ended up here, but we love them. <laughs> well, sure. And with six of them, you can kind of employ the buddy system, you know, so that could help you do the head counts here and there. That is exactly right. And buddy system we use. That word we use frequently in our house. Who's my buddy, says says the little people. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Okay, so what are the age ranges of your kiddos? My oldest is 13, and my youngest is five months. Wow, so you've got basically all the ranges. You are running around with your hair on fire. <laughs> I am. I ha- we have our oldest four are really kind of all lumped together. And then, you know, we had this surprise pregnancy that what the medical community so graciously called a geriatric pregnancy. So, Oh, aren't they sweet? They are so sweet. So I had two <laughs> of those advanced maternal age experiences with my youngest too. So there's actually a pretty big gap between my littles and my bigs. Okay. Well, that's all right. That's kind of fun. I think. It sure is. I mean, it is mornings are early with the littles and nights are getting later with our bigs. But the Lord, God, he just develops these stories in our life that we didn't ever anticipate. And somehow they end up being way better than we could have planned. Oh, yeah. There's four years in between my two girls. And it was actually really nice because when my second one was an infant, I could say to my four-year-old, can you run and get mommy a diaper? Yes. And she would. It was so helpful. The smallest things, they really matter. Yeah, we've got, I, I am at my office right now and I have my big kids baking and babysitting. And so it, we, we love the way that our family rhythm works. Oh, that's so great. And I can really hear that you love the way that the family rhythm works. Although I'm sure that it's not perfect. And I know you have a 13 year old. So there's probably some drama lurking out there. That somewhere. is for sure. I spend most days like fully in my workout clothes or in my pajamas. And as my kids pointed out the other day, mommy, look at that streak of gray. It's getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> oh, more sweetness for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would love to stay all day in my workout clothes. That would just be so great. But every time I go in public, I feel like I got to make some kind of effort. Well, and you're in Texas, right? So that's a little that's different. True. I live in the Midwest. People here, they like stay in their workout clothes, shower, get back in their workout clothes. <laughs> yeah. People in Texas, I mean, going out even in workout clothes, you get made up. Like you just, <laughs> it's an event. So, <laughs> that's great. well, tell us a little bit about your story and kind of what led you to write your first book. And then maybe tell us a little bit about that book. Yes. Yeah, so I... My husband and I were in full-time ministry with an organization called Young Life, Um, and we loved it, and and both of us sort of thought we'd be in Young Life for a long, long time, but shortly into marriage and being on full-time staff, we both, to different degrees, experienced a pretty significant burnout and just started to go, huh, we keep turning the treadmill up faster and faster, and we're getting real tired. And isn't life in God supposed to be we just run faster and harder, and we just couldn't do it? My legs would not keep going. And so we took a break from full-time ministry to really start to go, who is this Jesus that we have been telling other people about? I would be sitting in a conversation with a high school kid and telling them about Jesus, and in the back of my mind going, do I really know him? 
Uh, and during that time, oh, yeah. we also kind of took a pause and independently just asked God, if there is more of you, we want to know it. And little did I know, it's obviously easier said in retrospect, but little did I know that praying that prayer for us meant we walked into a long kind of hard season of life. We walked through infertility. My husband became an entrepreneur. And as is true for many business owners, there were ups and some serious downs. And my father was diagnosed with cancer and passed away. We just kind of hit a seven year period that was just plain hard. And on top of that, we could not conceive. So here we were thinking, we'll just take a break from ministry, really start to ask, like, who is this God? And what does he mean for our lives? And we're not doing ministry and yet, and grow a family, but we just couldn't do it. And that's sort of what birthed this book is I just started writing out of this place of pain and trying to make sense of years and years of infertility and asking God to give us children and hearing just crickets. I started to write. And in the writing is part of how I began to commune with God. And out of that came my first book, which is called Every Bitter Thing is Sweet. So let me ask you, when you said that you just started to write, did you start a blog or were you writing in a notebook? How did you start to work? Through you know, that? I started to write on a blog and it's actually kind of funny. I started the blog, my husband and I in the middle of this road of infertility that we did not choose for ourselves. We also kind of brushed up against a family that had adopted children. They had adopted children and we looked at their lives and went, man, we could see ourselves doing this. And so kind of simultaneous to facing our, my infertility, we were also pursuing adoption. And that was the time, I mean, blogs were just starting. And we thought, hey, this would be a great way to kind of let our families know that we're not like the only crazy people in the world adopting, because there's a lot of other people adopting who have blogs. And you could put that little sidebar along the side where you'd link to other blogs. And so I intentionally linked to like all the adoptive families blogs thinking, we're not going to look so weird. <laughs> And so, right. and I just kind of started it as a, a chronicle of my, of our adoption journey. And the more I wrote, the more I went, I love this. Like I, this writing is even more than cathartic. Like this is part of me communing with God. And so it slowly morphed from, Hey, here are Nate and Sarah adopting two children from Ethiopia in our day-to-day -day journey. And here's Sarah's walk with finding God in pain. And I just, it became a little bit more of a memoir. And so had you always liked to write or did this come out of the blue? A little you know, bit? I always like to read. And I think writers, inevitably, the one thing we all share in common is we love to read. And so I, I remember pockets of my childhood. I remember being holed up in a corner in our sunroom with books or, you know, biking to the reading railroad to get the latest book of the series that just came out or spending hours in the library. I mean, as a kid, I have my nose in a book all the time, but I didn't really translate that into maybe I also have a passion for writing. I'd scribble poetry here and there, but but not really think of that as a profession or something that I'd want to do later. So when I started writing my blog, it was like, oh, here are these pieces coming together that I didn't really invent, nor did I like project or try to ascertain. It just sort of happened. Oh, that's a great story, especially because like I could see myself at that. I was a voracious reader when I was a kid and I would write poems yeah. and all of that kind of stuff. And, but it never crossed my mind that that could be a profession. Yeah. And sadly, there really wasn't anyone around me that was kind of encouraging me in that way. So I, I just never considered it until later in life when I was doing it just because I had to, because like you said, it was yes. cathartic. Yeah. It's a great way to process it. It's kind of like 
your personal psychologist. That's exactly <laughs> right. And I think, you know, we do, a lot of us do that in our journals naturally. But what I started to find is like, as I'm putting these pieces together and sharing them with others, and, and you know, there's lots of opinions about whether you share things real time or much after the fact. But as I'm sharing these with others, I'm going, I think this is resonating. And so there was a little bit of like, this is sticking. And I think this actually could be maybe more than just for me to tuck between my mattresses, you know, like this, this might be for me to share this gift. Well, yeah, absolutely. It's clear that it was, but your blog now isn't just about adoption. So it's kind yeah, of, yeah, it really morphed, has. Right? I mean, I write about I, all sorts of topics. I, I suppose the undercurrent is just finding God and kind of the authenticity of the walk with God. You know, I'm almost 40. I turned 40 in a couple months and just maybe less of the right answers and the five steps to growing your faith in God and more of, man, the older I get, the more I realize this is a real wrestle and actually growing in God is maybe one of the hardest and most beautiful things I've ever done. And so I write a lot about that through the context of adoption and motherhood and, you know, all sorts of things. Yeah. Sure. I mean, your blog has so many goodies on it. I mean, it's really well done. Thank it's you. easy to navigate. So I hope everybody listening will go check it out. Well, okay. So I want to hear about the second book, but let's just take a, one quick step back and just kind of talk about where the first book came from, like kind of what sparked it. And then maybe a little even about what your process sure. was to write it and finding a publisher. You know, I honestly, I have a hard time sometimes giving advice to young writers or to new writers because I feel like my process was so unconventional. Honestly, for me, I wrote the book sometimes at like two and three in the morning after we adopted um, over a period of years and literally thought I'm going to tuck this between my mattresses and no one is going to see it. This is my family history. Like I just, I, as much as I did start to see that my writing was maybe a gift to other people, I also had kind of a lot of fear and insecurity about the publishing process. And so just kept saying, I'm never going to write a book for anyone else to see. And my husband the whole time is kind of whispering in my ear going, I think you were made to do this. Finally, I kind of was listening, attuning myself to him. And I was like, you know what, babe, I'm going to put out a fleece and I'll ask God, if you want me to write a book, I'm going to give you, I don't even remember exactly what the prayer was, but Lord, make it really clear. And my husband just laughed and he said, we cannot put God in a box like that. And I said, I'm still asking it anyways. And so I did. And several weeks later, oddly enough, I mean, weeks later, I got an email from a woman who said, hey, I'm connected to this ministry and I've got these connections in publishing and I think you can write. And if you want to write a book, I'll do whatever I can to help you. And I took that as like, okay, Lord, my husband's been saying this for years, which maybe should have been enough for me, <laughs> but I'm stubborn. And so, yeah, okay. aren't we all a little? Yeah, no kidding, <laughs> a little. <laughs> and so <laughs> I just said, okay, then I'm going to walk this out. And I did over the course of the next year, I kind of cleaned up my manuscript and didn't really pursue a conventional route for looking for an agent or a publisher, kind of just met one through a friend. And it was a great connect. And presented my book to several different publishers and really prayed through it and felt like Zondervan was a great fit. And so it was not that part of the process was way less challenging than just navigating the traffic in my own mind and heart about publishing because I just kind of wanted to keep this book to myself. I love that you say that navigating the traffic in your own mind and heart. I think that that is so much of the struggle that we all go through. Oh my goodness. Yes. And and I love that you say that your process was completely unconventional because as I interview more and more authors, they kind of all lead with that. Like my process is different from probably everyone else's. Oh, really? But 
that is becoming normal, that everyone's process is different. And I really love it because I hope that that gives some woman out there who feels like she's not doing it right, the freedom to do it her way. Yes, yes. And I think that's the thing. As I look back, you know, and this maybe ties into my next book, but I really felt like there were two stories going on. The overt story was, wow, I got an agent. I have a publishing contract. I'm going to be writing this book. But the understory, the backstory that my husband and I and a few of my close friends knew was the Lord is getting really personal with me. And he's making this, this is hand tailored for me, the way that the doors are opening and the way that he's whispering to me to walk through them. And that, and that honestly, the nervousness of my heart and the insecurity and the fear and the dialogue with him, that was the best part. I felt like, okay, you're inviting me to walk over hot coals, Lord. And then I'm seeing you going, Hey, I'll carry you. I'll make this really fun and really crazy. And we're going to walk over your fear. That's so great. And you said a minute ago, you had put out a fleece, which is a reference to Gideon, Mm -hmm. which is one of my most favorite stories because Gideon asked the Lord for like 10 signs. (laughs) You know, he said, okay, well, if this, then I'll believe you. Okay, but wait, wait, try it again this way Uh and then I'll believe you. And he just was, he was really stubborn. And I think he was wrestling with the traffic in his own mind and heart, but he did live it out in obedience. And God did just one of my favorite miracles. And I just love it. That's exactly right. Yeah. So you put out a heck of a fleece. I sure did. (laughs) You're like, okay, God, here it is. (laughs) Yeah. And you know what, honestly, and I think that's part of, you know, as it felt, as the process felt unconventional to me, it, the process was actually very easy overtly getting an agent and a publisher, which I know is not the case for 99.9% of authors. And I think some of the ease was actually the Lord inviting me to do what I didn't want to do and making at least part of the process easy. I mean, the internal part was the hardest part. And I think putting out that heck of a fleece and seeing him respond was almost like a wink from God saying, hey, let's just go through this and see that it may not be as hard as you think. So, you know, something interesting that you said is it was something that you didn't want to do. And I did not kind of become a Christian and get to know Jesus until I was in my mid thirties. Yeah. Well, but something, and I'm not that much older, Uh but one of the things that I've noticed kind of across the board is that most people who've done something that the world would consider successful begin by saying, I never wanted to do this. Or I wrestled with God on this and I tried to say no. Mm. And what I think is so interesting about that and what I've kind of been processing through in my own life lately is where are the areas that I feel like I'm fighting God or that I'm trying to say no or I'm dismissing Mm. and then just stopping and taking a breath and kind of leaning into that idea for a minute and hoping and seeing if the Lord will speak to me in that so that I'm not because I never want to be somebody who's resistant to the will of God. That's good. I hadn't considered it in a more broad context. I have been looking at this going, isn't this interesting? I've been a believer for how many years? And I see an obstinance in myself and an unwillingness here, which I think really kind of to what you said, there's a conversation with God behind that, which is why am I so afraid? You know, what, what is this uncovering in my heart that this obstinance is actually kind of like a flag? Okay. There's something underneath there worth talking to God about. So, Every Better Thing is Sweet mm-hmm. has been out for a while, and you are about to release a brand new book uh, this summer, right? Yeah, well, the end of the summer, yeah. Okay. 
Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and where that came from and what we can expect? Great. The new book is called Unseen, and the subtitle is my favorite, and it's The Gift of Being Hidden in a World that Loves to be Noticed. Oh, wow. That's amazing. It is about the hidden spaces of our life, in our everyday life, and the hidden seasons of our life where we feel unnoticed, uncelebrated, unwitnessed, and finding God in those places and finding his eyes on us in those and actually, oddly enough, celebrating them, coming around them, leaning into them rather than trying to, I think what so often, what so many of us often do, trying to run our way out of those and be seen. Immediately that resonates with me because immediately I can think of five different things in my life that I've done that for. Oh, I can too. I mean, I think that's what's, what's been fun. And the book isn't out yet, obviously, though. We've had kind of the first round of endorsers and uh, people reading it. And i gotten that kind of feedback. I think it's even just with the title and the subtitle, I think it really is for all of us, whether we're in a more public setting or a hidden setting. I feel like it's a universal kind of wrestle. I want to be seen and known and celebrated. And God did create us for that. And so what do we do in the places of our life where we feel judged or misunderstood or not seen or tucked in a back corner somewhere? Like, what do we do with those? Just wait until we can finally get our way out of those, which has honestly been a a real struggle for my life, that wanting to claw my way out of that or sit there and ask God, what do you have for me here? Or even sitting there and just waiting for the storm to pass, which maybe is a very passive way that keeps you from abundant life in it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yes. So when does that come out? And can you pre-order it on Amazon right now? You can pre-order it now on Amazon. It comes out August 29th, the same week I turned 40. (laughs) Um, But yes, you can pre-order. I mean, it's available now for pre-order anywhere where books are sold, but you can get it right now on Amazon too. Okay. But what I would love to know is... You said you wrote Every Bitter Thing is Sweet at 2 a.m. over a period of a year or two. How was the process of writing Unseen different? That's a great question. Uh, It took me two and a half years to write Unseen. Um, I knew it was coming down the pike, and I, I was a little bit more systematic about it. Every Bitter Thing is Sweet, I came to my publisher with a manuscript already written. With Unseen... We were still in concept form discussing with the publisher before I had written it and just getting my mind around, okay, I think I might be an author. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) So if I'm an author, what does an author do? (laughs) So I was a little bit more systematic about it. Um, I gave myself like a period of six to eight months to just live it. I mean, I had been living it for years, but to take notes and, and kind of sketch it out and go on long walks and long stretches where I just was thinking and praying it through. And then actually took a year and a half from that point, maybe a year and a half, two years to write it and kind of simultaneously write and edit. Um, I worked with the same editor I did with Every Bitter Thing is Sweet and just loved her. Actually, both of my editors. Every Bitter Thing is Sweet felt a lot more organic. I was just kind of writing and, and figuratively tucking between my mattresses. With Unseen, I was writing knowing that it was going to be read, which is quite different. Um, And so I just, for me, I wanted to stay true to the dialogue I was having with God and true to who I felt like I was in God and, and wanting to honor him alone while also knowing human eyes are going to read this. With Unseen, there wasn't that dynamic because I just wasn't sure that anybody would ever read it other than my husband and my children. 
So did you feel more pressure knowing that other people would be reading it? And did you kind of have to get in the zone of who you are and your voice? Or did you kind of feel like it was pretty easy to stay in your zone? I think after having written a blog for many years, I, I knew that dynamic of like not writing, knowing other people were going to see it, not trying to alter my writing because other people were going to see it. But the pressure that you talk about is really very real. And I think it's probably true for a lot of authors who do more than one book. Every Bitter Thing is Sweet was, I think, beautifully touched many people. And so as a result, I felt this kind of, oh, man, can I do it again? And that just meant a lot in late night conversations, honestly, with my husband and with God, where I, my husband reminding me and then me sort of taking that to the Lord going, I am doing this for your eyes alone. There is no physical measure of success that can compare to the endorsement of God. In a, in a way, I like, was like living the book again because I'm writing about being unseen and then thinking through, okay, if this book doesn't have the same kind of traction that Every Bitter Thing is Sweet does, I, it can be a massive success because I did it for God and before his eyes and I got his approval as I did it, which is much easier said than lived out. Oh, absolutely. But it's such a great, I think, visual image of keeping your eyes fixed on the Lord and doing it for the right reasons rather than catering to what you think someone wants to hear. That's exactly right. And I think that is the, I mean, so I didn't have that challenge with every bitter thing is sweet, but I knew that others will be reading it. and that the message itself is a bit nuanced. And so, you know, there was that, like, how do I articulate this thing that's been, I think, percolating in me for maybe a decade in different venues? You know, when I was 20 or 25, it was I took a break from full-time ministry and I worked at a little French and Italian imported pottery boutique and just feeling <sighs> like I have a college degree and I'm selling, you know, Italian pottery and not even really selling it. I mean, I'm just sort of standing here in that store. So what does that look like? That's when I was 25. You know, when I'm 33 or 32, it's my girlfriends are having their third baby and it's another baby shower and I am showing up and I have no idea what it's like to have stretch marks. And I feel completely alone and unknown because, man, it was hard for them when they couldn't conceive for six months. But for me, it's been six years, you know, but mm. then here I am now and I am an author like that. That is actually a legitimate thing. And I want people to read my book, but ultimately I'm writing for an audience of one. So what does that look like? So it was very layered. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. But again, I think the fact that it percolated for over 10 years and you basically were just kind of connecting the dots and these pieces of your life that came into this message. Again, I feel like that just gives other writers and bloggers this freedom that your message is developing and it may come from a lot of different places. You don't have to sit down and have it all figured out at the same time. Yes, that's exactly right. Because we, I mean, we live, I, I want to be 60 and have my kids still look at me and go, mom, the year that you were 60, you grew so much in the Lord. At 61, you're so different. Like I, I want that kind of continual growth. We can't expect that our writing is going to somehow plateau or stay stagnant when we as humans you know, if we are leaning into God and inviting him into the everyday parts of our life, we're going to grow. So our writing is going to grow and change. Yeah, that's such a good point. So I noticed something on your blog, too. You have a whole section titled Adoration, and I kind of looked around on it. And I think it's really cool. But I would love for you to just sort of explain that. Yeah, so Adoration, about maybe seven or eight years ago, I was having coffee with a friend. 
And she was hearing me just talk about my life and probably hearing some cynicism and just kind of a little bit of negativity or maybe a lot of negativity. It happens. happens. And when you have, you know, I, I had many years of things that I had wanted in God that I wasn't getting. And so I think it eked out in, in my negativity. And she said, have you thought about doing adoration? And I'm like, well, sure. Everybody does adoration, right? Adoration, confession, Thanksgiving, supplication, you know, the acts acronym. Right. And she's like, no, like actually like spending time and taking God's word and speaking it back to him in adoration. And I'm like, nope. (laughs) <laughs> hadn't thought about it. And she, she just gave me a little bit of a challenge. And honestly, at that point, I, I wanted a fresh approach to God's word. And so I started practicing adoration, which was quite literally just taking his word and saying it back to him, you know, in the middle of my day, I'm carrying a load of laundry up the stairs. I'm feeling like I have a college degree and I'm washing the same jeans that were in the laundry yesterday from my 11-year-old daughter because instead of putting them away, she just put them back in the laundry. And right now I'm going to go down and do dishes next and I feel so alone and so unseen. But Psalm 139 tells me, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. And so I adore him up the stairs carrying the laundry going, you search me, God. You know me. You know this moment. Nobody else is going to know this moment, God, but you do. And I adore you for that. I don't feel it. My flesh doesn't like it. You know, I adore you. And that is adoration. It's essentially just an unconventional times of our day. I mean, I think it can be during our morning quiet time, but I like to, even if for a few minutes at the end of a run or on the treadmill or while I'm chopping onions, taking a piece of his word and actually speaking it back to him with the acknowledgement that I might not feel it in that moment, but I'm inviting his word in to change my heart, even, and especially when I don't feel it. Well, and that's beautiful. And I'm already picturing stuck in traffic or in the carpool line, <laughs> like all these places that I can imagine doing it, but it, it had to have been really powerful in your life because you have created resources for other people to do this. Yeah, I feel pretty passionate about it. I I come from kind of a worst case scenario thinking. My dad was a pessimist and I think I inherited it from him just kind of like, hey, when's the bottom going to drop out? And because of the years that I talked about at the beginning, those seven years of, you know, my husband's business struggling, my dad dying, infertility, it kind of just became a little bit more of a sedentary part of me that like I just expect the worst. But yet I look at the word of God and it talks about because of him, we have hope. And adoration for me was the bridge into me as someone who's kind of cynical and hardened, actually getting changed by this living and active word that cuts through soul and bone and marrow, as Hebrews 4.12 talks about. Um, And so I just feel passionate about it. I feel like it is sort of a lost art in Christianity, where a different way to get his word worked into our minds and where we don't have to come kind of with our best self, but really we just come messy and we say, God, I want your word to change me. And I love the thought of equipping other women and even men with this little habit you can do on your walk to the water cooler. You can do it on your commute. Like this isn't a, you know, need to sit down with quiet and candles in your Bible. This is everyday life, applying his word to your heart. Well, and I love that because you can sort of do adoration and multitask. Like it counts if you're folding Mm -hmm. laundry. And I think that that is 
really cool because I think when I first started my Christian journey, I just thought that every prayer literally had to be on my knees or on my face and it had to be quiet and I had to be completely and totally focused and that if my mind wandered during my prayer into my grocery list that I was a prayer yes, failure. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You're not alone. <laughs> right. And so I like this idea of adoration just kind of in the moments of your day. And I like how you describe that you kind of got more peace. I did. And you know, we also do it with our children. Four of our six, I think I mentioned earlier, are adopted. And one of the things that we've noticed with them, they may not have the faculties in place yet to really process their grief and their loss. Two of our daughters especially were adopted at older ages. And so adoration for us, we call it our actively passive way to get the word of God into their minds because they might not be able to process their loss right now, but they still are kind of imbibing things about God throughout their day, whether it's good or bad. And we'd love it to be linked to the word of God. For one of my daughters, um, she's an artist, and she was really, I could tell, just struggling with a lot of shame, which is pretty common for a lot of kids who have been orphaned. So one night, I we tuck the other kids in bed, and I have my older daughter, and, and she's an artist, so I tell her, let's hand letter Psalm 1819. Let me make sure that's the right one. It's, he delivered me because he delighted in me. I say, let's hand letter that, because that's her thing. So she's writing it out, and as she's writing it out, I am like, kind of passively doing adoration with her. And I'm like, he likes you, sweetheart. Do you know that this verse talks about he likes you? He likes when you ride your bike in the snow and it's really quirky and weird. He likes when you wear your rain boots in the house. He delivered me because he delighted in me means he likes when you sing in the shower. Like I kind of moving it beyond just, oh, God loves me. And as she's hand lettering it, and I'm, I'm just saying, you know, say this with me in your heart and in your mind. He delivered me because he delighted in me. God, thank you that you deliver me because you delight in me. She looks at me and she says, am I the only person on the planet who doesn't think that God likes her? Ouch. Just said, sweetheart, it's in all of us. I mean, really, you, you pull any adult maybe behind the veneer and really ask the honest opinion. So many of us wrestle to believe God likes us. But here, this was adoration and practice. We're taking his word and we're telling our souls that probably want to believe otherwise. Nope, his word tells me he likes me. He delights in me. Okay, I think I might go have to have that verse like tattooed somewhere. I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think so many of us just need to hear that so often. I love that. That's so true. So with technology ever-changing, with writing apps or blogging platforms or whatever it is, it's constantly changing. And so I like to ask everybody, what are you obsessed with right now that you're just loving? And then what are you completely over? Oh, that's a good question. I, you know, obsessed with This isn't actually even with writing. I would say that I don't know if this falls into the category of what you're asking. I love Voxer. And Voxer has actually, do you, are you familiar with Voxer? Very, yes. In fact, that's basically how Declare gets planned. <laughs> okay, that's exactly right. For anyone who doesn't know what Voxer is, it's like a voice messaging system, but you can kind of keep the message and you can go up to 15 minutes. But Voxer has been a well for me. I have several friends who are out of state, and it's my, my way of keeping in touch with them. And honestly, I feel like that's part of what keeps my heart alive, is having girlfriends in similar seasons of life, though maybe not in the same city. I have those in the same city, too. But um, where we can keep up over Voxer, we can pray for each other over Voxer. I have a prayer group over Voxer that literally it's just women praying for each other. It's kind of powerful to think that's the purpose of this group. And I have, I have several writer friends in different parts of the country. I mean, maybe even more than several, half dozen or so. 
And we vox pretty regularly with ideas, um, running certain opportunities by one another. Hey, have you worked with this publisher? What's your thought on that? So that is probably what I would say I love most right now. Yeah, Voxer is really, really great. I love it too. I couldn't agree more. I love that you guys plan to Claire that way. I feel like it's actually pretty efficient. I don't know. I just don't have the time to sit down in front of my computer and compose a long email. But, you know, honestly, I plan out about 10 minutes of my morning run. I'm going to be Voxing, whether it's catching up, listening to a friend and responding, or I, I feel like it works really well for my stage of life. Yeah, we have a couple of other things that we use too, but even though we're all in Dallas, we're all in very different parts of Dallas. And so it really helps us to just stay connected, to bounce ideas off one another. And yeah, that's how we ended up planning Declare last year. It's kind of how we're doing it this year. So I love Voxer. But what are you totally over? That's a tough question. I mean, I know I would say in the past year or so I've been, I'm not on Twitter a whole lot. Uh, but I haven't loved the short, spicy slash snarly comments that can happen in that sort of setting, especially in the past year I w- in the body of Christ. I've been pretty disheartened with the way communication has devolved in a setting where you're not looking face to face with someone and can easily kind of shoot off something without a whole lot of real weight behind it, but that can really harm. Um, so in some ways I might say Twitter, but I still, you know, Twitter is a great source for news and kind of current event stuff, but I'm not loving the kind of dialogue that I think can happen in that space. Yeah. I just had a conversation with my family about that yesterday, that even though your picture is up there, it still feels kind of anonymous. Like that's exactly right. You trick yourself into thinking no one's really going to read it or whatever. So you put it out there, but it, it does hurt feelings. And I know of cases where it's ended friendships. Yeah, it, that doesn't surprise me. I sort of look at our current culture and, and the way that social media is shaping the discourse. And I there's that's the part of me that wants to go back 100 years or 200 years and, and say, let's can we write letters again? <laughs> like sit in each other's living rooms and, and knit and talk. <laughs> or can we just go back to just basic human kindness? Yeah, and, exactly. And giving grace to others. Mm-hmm. I think that would help a lot. It, yes, agreed. <laughs> okay, so you're joining us at Declare. And I was wondering if maybe you could tell us a little bit about what you're planning to talk about. And we know that it could change as the Spirit's leading you. But right now, what kind of can our community look forward to? Oh, that's great. Well, that's great that it can change. I think yes. right now, though, as I think of declare and just the type of people that will be there. My desire, and this is actually one of my favorite types of audiences is to talk about, you know, as as we have more public platforms or opportunities to put our creative work out there, what does it look like to find God kind of backstage? And how does our private life inform our public life? And how do we find him in our private life when our public life isn't necessarily going as we'd want, or even our creative expression isn't necessarily being received in the way that we would want it to be? How do we find God? Because the truth is, you look at the numbers and the number of people who are actually, you know, being potentially being promoted or published in the way that they would want to, it's a small number. So there's many, many of us who do have these creative expressions. And does it mean that they are invalid because they aren't received or because they aren't viral or because there isn't a big audience celebrating? So how do we find God in our creating and not let that process end because we don't have the audience we wanted? Yeah. So it's kind of God as the solution to our doubt. Yes, that's great. That's exactly right. I can tell you 
especially lately, I feel like I need that message. So I'm really looking forward to it. I, and I know it'll resonate with others. Me too. I mean, I feel like I need it too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I just think it's really apropos and timely, especially given what we just said about Twitter. Yes. That when publishers are telling you to build your platform, build your platform, but the platforms that are out there aren't necessarily friendly. Mm-hmm. How do you keep your eyes fixed on God? I just think it's going to be a great message. Thank you. I'm very much looking forward to it. So what's next for you? Uh, Well, I have this book coming out in August, so the summer looks like that for me. There's another one in my mind and heart and in proposal form, but I'm not yet ready to talk about it. But I do feel like um, I'm just kind of settling in after having my first book land and preparing for this next one. I think I'm finally going, I think I might be an author. And what does it look like to do that and be a mom and be really present with my kids? And I always say I moonlight as a writer. So what does it look like to do six kids well um, and then kind of let that moonlighting piece of writing actually be a thing instead of resisting it so much, but actually lean in and go, I think this is what you're doing in me, God. Um, I want to lean into what you're doing. I love that. And I love just the taking time to focus on your family and being completely okay with it because you're Mm -hmm. a writer. And let me, let me just share with you that you are in fact a writer because I have (laughs) at least one book in my hand that, that proves you're a writer and I will soon have two. So yes, you are a writer, Uh but I love this idea of it. It's not kind of your full-time job that you can step away from it and not think about it all the time and kind of refocus somewhere else and live life that gives you material for your next writing assignment. That's that's so true. I had a, right after my baby was born this winter, I was traveling to speak at a conference and I had originally said no to speak because it was fairly soon. I mean, within two months of my baby being born and I don't travel a ton to speak. We intentionally limit that um, so that I can be present with my, my kids here. But we, after I said no, my husband and I prayed and both of us independently felt like, I think we've got to say yes to this. And so here I am getting ready to get on a plane and, you know, nothing fits because I just had a baby and I'm traveling with this baby and I'm kind of going, why am I doing this? And, and just having this conversation with the Lord, like I have nothing to bring to the table. And the Lord brought me to the passage where he talks about or, or where Jesus fed 5,000. And in, I think it's maybe in Mark's account, um, he, the, he says to the disciples, bring me what you have or bring them here to me. And I was reminded in that instance, you know, it wasn't that they had two loaves or four loaves or six loaves. It really didn't matter. They could have had a crumb and a half eaten fish and the miracle still would have been Jesus miracle. It didn't matter what they physically brought. He wasn't like, oh, you got two loaves. I need three. And I just in that time of praying to go travel and speak at that event, I felt like the Lord said, I know that you have very little to bring just in terms of my bandwidth. I was really wanting to be present at home. And outside of that, I felt like I'm bringing a crumb and a half eaten fish and and Jesus just going, but I'm the one who brings the miracle. So you bring me what you have and I'll do something with it. And so for my writing, you know, even as we're looking at a book launch, my husband and I, my husband's a marketer actually by trade. He runs a marketing firm. And so as we've talked through this launch, um, we've just said, how do I stay integrous to who I am? And and some of that is me going, I'm not going to try and produce more than I physically can. I'm just going to bring what I have. 
and say, God, breathe on it. Do what you want to do. Let me be the mama six who has a little bit of extra time to moonlight as a writer and bring what I have and let me see what you can produce rather than trying to become Superwoman this summer. That's so great. And it's such a good message for everybody. Bring what you have because you do the work, he'll do the miracle. That's exactly right. He doesn't require us. Sometimes I think in this world where we can be so uber connected and writing isn't just writing anymore. It's writing and promoting and social media. And, and, and so then we think we need to be like three or four different people in one. And I feel like there's a really simplistic invitation from God to just be who you are and let me do the work. Like you just show up. Your goal is faithfulness and obedience. And let me actually be the one who produces fruit. I love it. And that's such a great place for us to end, to just chew on that. And I think that you've actually given people a lot to think about. So they'll maybe move away from Thank this conversation you. and and chew on those things, like finding God backstage and staying, you said, integrous to who you are, which is a huge word. And I love it. And I'm going to use it all the time now. Um, <laughs> But just, you know, having the negative mindset and then turning toward adoration, I just think there's so much here and it's so rich. And I just am so grateful that you plowed your kids with activities so that you could be here with us today. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I so appreciate it. I'm very much looking forward to Declare. Yeah, we are too. Well, we will see you in October. Great. Thanks, Anne. Oh my gosh, you guys, don't you just love her? You can find out more about Sarah when you click on the show notes at DeclareConference.com. And you're going to find the links there to everything that we talked about today. What could be easier? While you're there, go ahead and grab your ticket. And hey, maybe even buy one for a friend. Don't forget, the price goes up really soon. We want you to get the best deal possible. Hey, and thank you so much for leaving us a review on iTunes and subscribing. You just have no idea how helpful that is. Get connected with us now by following Declare Conference on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And we want you to leave a lot of comments because we love to connect with you and chat with you that way. A huge thank you goes out today to our sponsor, Shazzy Fitness. If you want more information about what they do and how you can get in the best shape of your life, visit their website at shazzyfitness.com. If you want more information about sponsoring this podcast or joining us as a sponsor at the conference, just go to declareconference.com. So that's it for today. I'm so grateful that you're here. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you the next time on the Declare Conference Podcast.